welcome to the Film Classification Podcast from the BBFC. My name is James Blatch. Uh, I'm one of the band of film examiners here at the BBFC, and with me is... Mark Dawson, also an examiner. Great, thank you, Mark. Um, this is, well, it's our first public podcast, and we're going to try and give you an insight into the workings of the BBFC and these. What we'll do in terms of format today is we'll have... Uh, a regular feature, one we're going to call a dip into the archive, where we're going to go into the vaults here at 3 Soho Square and pull out something interesting to talk about. Um, today we're going to look back at the classification uh, symbols, the actual categories going back to the old H for horror and the Edwardian times through to the uh, 12A and 18 today. We're going to talk specifically in this first podcast about one of our categories, the most recent, the newest category, which is 12A. But first... We're going to have a quick look at some of the major films that are on release or about to be released in the UK. Okay, let's have a look at those uh, those films. We're just going to pick out one or two that are of interest, not just um, because they're in the cinemas at the moment and they may be getting some publicity, but from a film classification point of view. And the first one I've picked out, Mark, is Drive. Uh, this is the Ryan Gosling film it's getting a lot of critical praise and it's one that some of the critics are talking about being an Oscar contender for next year and the reason I picked it out is because it's uh, quite a stylish film with a stylized amount of violence in it and it's 18 which is a little bit unusual isn't it that's right it is quite it's quite unusual for um, a film to go to 18 um, pretty much solely on the basis of its violent content these days those strong moments uh, are particularly strong um, and they're given an added frisson by the fact that they are quite unexpected. Um, the, the first, in particular, really does take you by surprise. And the, the, the violence is graphic, bloody, and pretty realistic. And, and yes, it's, it's, you know, it, it is the kind of thing that will cause some viewers um, to be slightly concerned, I should think. And, and that's one of the reasons, or the main reason, we, we moved the film up to 18. Yeah, so it has a clear warning now at 18. People will hopefully know what they're going to expect. And I think this is a good example of how the classification process works in this building because we talk in our guidelines about there not being a dwelling on the infliction of pain and violence. There's a difference between 15 and 18. So you can get quite strong violence at 15, quite frequent violence at 15, but when there's a dwelling, it tips it to 18. Now, this film is, by and large, a borderline case between 15 and 18. But what tips into 18 is you alluded to, Mark, is not just that there's a dwelling, there's quite a lot of detail, but it's the tone, the rest of the film, the way the violence is presented, it doesn't necessarily prepare you for it, and that's part of what the director has done, but it's something from our point of view that just means that we know that it needs to be up to category to contain that. Absolutely. Now, I've got two comedies that I've, I've picked out here. One is called 50-50, and the other is The Change-Up. Um, the Change-Up is out in cinemas now, 50-50 is coming up very shortly and the change up we deal with first the one in cinemas uh, we are getting a few complaints about this film um, and I know that because I'm one of the examiners who's dealing uh, with the complaints as they come in um, it's just out of a note of interest for people that uh, we do deal with complaints ourselves as examiners so it ends up back on your desk um, this is a gross out comedy I think is probably the way to describe it it's a familiar theme we've seen in um, in Hollywood comedies over the years of two people swapping bodies. So whether it's Freaky Friday or Big, etc., etc. In this case, we've got a bit of a layabout guy who um, smokes cannabis during the day, doesn't really work very hard, 
and his best mate uh, from college who works very hard and has twin children and is you know, living that life of nappies and, and work. And they swap bodies. I, I think this film is probably off the back of the success of The Hangover, uh, which had some quite grossy moments in it. Um, and there's a moment in this film where a baby sprays faeces and mainly goes into Jason Bateman's mouth. Uh, that's one of the moments, and there's quite a few others in this film, and it's clearly there for comic effect. Um, and it's 15, because it's, it's humorous. Uh, but it's not to everyone's taste, and I suppose you get people who go to the cinema who don't go that often, who maybe expect their comedies to be a bit more Pretty Woman and a bit less The Hangover. But it's a, new, a bit of a new genre, this 15... It used to be 12A, a lot of comedies at that level, but they've gone to 15, haven't they? That's right, so you can trace it back to Judd Apatow and, um, and, and the films that he started, 40-Year-Old um, Virgin, and, and on from there, really. That's the genesis of, of that particular strand of comedy. But um, absolutely, people can be surprised by the, the level of content that they um, experience in films like that. And people are being surprised, and, um, yeah. and I'm writing my, my letters uh, in return. 50-50, I'm just going to mention, because I think it's quite an interesting uh, comedy film. It's got Seth Rogen in it, and the, the conceit of this, this film, the idea of this comedy, is it's a satire of cancer. So uh, one of the chaps uh, in it, the two best mates, he is diagnosed with a very serious, life-threatening cancer. And the film is actually very good-natured, and if you've been through this, and lots of people have had loved ones who go through cancer, it's actually um, a, quite an accurate observational comedy about the way attitudes change to people who have cancer. But quite a brave one as well, and I think it's a, I think it's a film that has the ability to surprise people simply because of its subject matter. And it's a bit off-kilt off for Seth Rogen. Yeah, you're looking blank, so you haven't seen this film. But I haven't. Well, he's normally smoking cannabis, isn't he, and, um, and making gross-out remarks, but uh, this True. is a slightly unusual one for him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, finally, for this section of uh, picking out the films that are of note at the moment is The Skin I Live In, which is a Pedro Almodovar film. Uh, I mention this because one of the things we do in this building is we very routinely will show a film of interest, one that's challenged us or given us uh, an area of discussion, to expert panels. And we have an expert panel uh, of people who look into, particularly into youth, youth psychology, um, the youth justice system, and that panel sat and watched uh, The Skin I Live In, which has a couple of ambiguous moments of sexual violence. I, I mean, I can't tell you to this day, having had a lot of discussion about this film, I still can't actually tell you whether they are sexual violence or not, because there's a really split debate on it. Um, it's very much up to you to go and see the film and come up with your own mind. Um, but I thought it was interesting to note this is a, quite a stylized and stylish film, as you might expect from Pedro Almodovar. Um, and it's certainly one that doesn't answer its questions, it sets them. Uh, but it gave us an interesting insight from, uh, from the minds of some experts who deal with children. And we've given it a 15, and by and large, that 15 has been very well supported. Yeah, and, we, and we've given it you know, the consumer advice that accompanies the uh, classification. Contains strong sex, sexual violence, brief gore, and very strong language. Just um, very clear flags to uh, potential audience members so they can ex that they can anticipate what they might be about to see. And our very strong language policy at 15, uh, Mark, just remind me of that. Um, very strong language generally means that you can use the, the, the C word only infrequently uh, at 15, and there needs to be um, a contextual reason for its use. That is still the, it's the one taboo, I suppose, that, that's left with regards to, to strong language, um, and the public have demonstrated 
several times when, when we've asked them that that is the word that still has the potential to cause the most offence. And that's, that's the reason we, we do treat its use quite, quite carefully. Um, and as, as I say, there needs to be a good reason why it should be included in a film that we, we classify at 15. OK, thanks, Mark. Two DVDs to mention. Two brand-new DVDs are going to be out this month. Ben-Hur and Breakfast at Tiffany's. Well, I say brand-new. They're both being released for anniversary reasons. Breakfast at Tiffany's, August 1961, that film came into the board. And I can tell you, and not a lot of people know this, it was cut in August 1961. And what happened then is that, you know, you can imagine back in the early 60s, they didn't think, well, we're going to release this on DVD next year, so we'll hold this cut material and add it back in at a later point. They imagined that was the theatrical release at that time, and that was that. So it was cut, and alas, as far as I know, that is now the worldwide version of Breakfast at Tiffany's, and no one's seen the cut material. I looked in our old books downstairs where there's a couple of sentences describing it. It basically says, to remove shots of a pan up a stripper's legs and buttocks. So I know the scene, it's a scene set in a bar where uh, Holly Golightly is in there and you know you see this cutaway of the stripper so clearly that's been, been cut and sadly you know, that's it in, and I've come across this several times, I believe there's a couple of James Bond films that were cut back in the uh, late 60s and that was that, they become the worldwide versions, the, the version we know. But it always makes me think that is there somebody working in an office at Leavesden or Elstree or somewhere and at the bottom of a dusty drawer in a cabinet is an envelope stuffed with old bits of 35mm film, that's all these cut material. Yeah, you do, things like this do turn up on eBay every now and again, so you know, who, who knows, perhaps one day we'll have Roger Moore yeah. restored to his full glory. Yeah, maybe. And uh, the other mention, just for Ben-Hur, it's a PG, which is quite a violent film actually at PG, but it was certainly, it was the day when it came in originally on video where there was no 12. There was uh, the option of going PG or 15, and the historical context we always take as a mitigating factor, don't we? We do, and, and plus, as you say, the film's been on the shelves for a lot of, a lot of years. It's, you know, it's, a, it's a staple on television schedules. Uh, people know what they're going to get when, when they watch Ben-Hur, and it would, be, um, it would be an unusual step for us to classify that at 12. Uh, you know, under today's guidelines. Possibly a meaningless step as well. Yeah. So that stays at PG, even in its new uh, Blu-ray release. Okay, well, talking about that uh, 12 certificate, which emerged between PG and 15, we're going to talk about 12A in more detail in a moment. But our dip into the archive feature, the first one we're going to do, is one of our long-serving servants here at 3 Soho Square, David Hyman. He's been here man and boy since uh, he moved departments, he's now an, uh, an examiner. He has an encyclopedic knowledge, I have to say, of uh, the organisation and its history. And I wanted to talk to him specifically about the categories through the years. So, David Hyman, I've come into your little viewing room here. One of the smallest viewing rooms in the building, I noticed, but you seem very happy here. Indeed, it's fine. There's no window, but uh, no. you're not allowed a light. Um, and I've come to you because you've been at the BBFC quite a while. You have a great knowledge of the history. And I just wanted to have a quick view of the categories. People are perhaps familiar with the modern categories today. But we go back 99 years. What did they look like in Edwardian times? Well, certainly when the board started, um, there were really just two advisory certificates, U, which was universal suitable for all, which we still have, and A, which was A for adult. Some councils actually ruled that for such films that children had to be accompanied by an adult. Well, that was at their discretion. 
So it was very much an advice thing. There was no 16 or 18 age bracket which you went to A, was there? Or? No, no, not really. I mean, the, the, there was an interesting indicator, um, indicator in the 30s when the board started to be, be faced with a number of horror films from the States, like Universal Horror Films, Dracula's and Frankenstein's. Um, there was a feeling that these films were unusually horrifying and particularly unsuitable for children. And consider that although they had been given the A certificate, the parents needed some sort of warning, almost a form of consumer advice. And this was actually discussed with the Cinematograph Exhibitors Association, who agreed to advise their members that when such films were being shown, display notice to the effect that such films were not, in the opinion of the management, suitable for children. Parents were therefore advised not to bring children with them. So it was almost a form of consumer so, advice. So that's interesting, because I always thought the H was a category certificate in its own right for horror films, but you were saying that it had an A as its certificate, and H was as, like an early version of our... our yeah, contains moderate violence today, an early CA. More or less, yes. Consider, films considered particularly unsuitable for children. Right. So, and what happened, to, what happened to a film that had an H on it? Well, a number of things would happen to it. It could, well, have the H applied to it when it played. So you had films like, say, Son of Frankenstein, um, I think right up through the 40s, really, um, that's all those universal horror films. And they would play. The problem with some of those was that local authorities then decided that as these films were considered so unsuitable and were so probably unwholesome that they actually prevented the films from being shown. So in fact the certificate sort of died a death really because local authorities wouldn't permit the films to be shown um, in their areas. Um, the H certificate was still being, the H was still being applied in the 1940s and it wasn't necessarily always horror films. There was an H film called Boy Slaves, which is about the social conscience drama about sort of reformatory boys sent to a turpentine farm in the Deep South. So H really meant horrific content rather than horror films per se. I actually think it's a badge of honour um, today to get a, an H horrific content for your, your Eli Roth film, for instance. Um, it's worth noting, I think, some of those really old horror films which got an H and maybe effectively banned because of it might go PG today. Yeah, yeah I mean, well, certainly it's quite possible we've had We've actually classified certainly some of those ones from the 30s. I'm, I'm not sure about the, the universal ones, but I think in films like, I keep mentioning Son of Frankenstein, but I think that may well be a PG now. Um, some of the films may not even exist anymore, or certainly no. if they do, they might not be considered worth releasing. Okay, well, let's move forward through to the 60s. Now, this is a point at which we started to have the semblance of the modern uh, certificates that we have today. Um, the big one that I remember from my youth is the X, which looked looks like a dangerous thing to go and see an X film. It had a sort of status symbol, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, um, and I think the problem with the X certificate was it was a double-edged sword, really, because particular types of films, or particular distributors of particular types of films, usually sex films, would actually use the X as part of their marketing, as in the sexiest film ever, with the X probably about ten times the size of the rest of the, of the text. So it kind of started to have a slightly disreputable odour to it, which, which because it's association with sex films and also I think Britain was the only country, this was the only country really where X was used for films which weren't hardcore pornography. And I think there was that type of taint as well. Um, and obviously it, it, when it first came in it was X was sort of 16 and over and then it, obviously it was raised to 18 in 1970 I believe. Yeah. Um, and that was to do with the sort of the loosening of the censorship restrictions in the States for example, in the United States and films became a good deal stronger. So there was a point at which in the 60s we still had U and A yeah. and uh, one of the things people may not realise yeah. in this building is that um, quite often actually we'll get 1960s films and we get the old paper files, in fact I can see some on your desk here with the old letters going back between the um, you know, John Trevelyan JT in his day uh, and the distributor. 
and we'll read through the file and it'll inform the way that we give it a modern certificate. So we do deal with these old certificates in, in, in transposing them to the modern era. So you had your UNA, and then there was a point at which we transferred to a wider set of categories, which I guess was in the early 70s, a double A became a sort of the PG, double A for 14 and over? Yeah, um, double A certificate, um, yeah, it was you're quite right, it was introduced in the early 70s. The trouble with double A certificate always had, and I remember this when I was younger, is that many people thought that double A meant adult accompaniment. And, it, and it, they thought that basically if, if parents took them along to see it, children could go and see films. And I remember specifically in 19, the 1970s when Rollerball came out, it had a double A. And I remember friends of mine saying, oh, I'm going to see it with my dad tonight. Um, he can take me along to see it because it's a double A. And obviously, I must have been born to do this job, but I knew double A meant you couldn't yeah. go unless you're over 14. So invariably, the following day at school, we have these disappointed sort of yeah. friends coming back saying, oh, they wouldn't let us in because... And this was, I think, the problem that people... that there was a lack of understanding as to what that certificate actually meant. And I think if that experience was reflected around the country, I wouldn't have wanted to be a cinema manager with a particular film that was popular for, you know, children who wanted to see it, because if they took, their parents took them along to see it, there are probably quite a lot of angry scenes with people um, going to see it. Now we've obviously moved to an, a, 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 an age-related category system, so you have 15 and 18 rather than AA and X. Um, Which is clearer. Yeah. for everybody concerned. And at the lower, the junior categories, we still have U, which is the one category yeah. that survived 100 years nearly. Uh, PG, kind of the Americanism, isn't it? Parental guidance, yeah, yeah. Uh, which used to be A, which I suppose is confusing. And our newest category. Yes, I mean, um, we have a 12A now, um, which actually originally was the 12 um, certificate when it was introduced. Batman, a lot of people will know, was the first film which got the um, 12 certificate. Um, the problem with the 12, as, as opposed to the 12A, is obviously it was an age bar category like the 15 and 18. And a particular example comes to mind of Mrs. Doubtfire, which the distributor at the time had a massive Christmas hit in the States. It was going to be released, I think, half-term time here um, in February. And the distributor wanted a PG. The board said it couldn't be a PG unless cuts were made. And it was actually cuts which would have been damaging to a particular scene. Um, the distributor wouldn't make the cuts. It went out as 12. And almost as soon as the film opened, there were problems at cinemas, with cinema managers being faced with families turning up to see what they thought was a family film being turned away from seeing it. They, in turn, would complain to the local authorities who would uh, in, have the film in to view it. And in a lot of cases, the local authorities were actually awarding the film a PG uncut, overruling the board. And this got to a situation where the board's certificate was effectively not being taken on board by the local authorities. So the board got into the position of um, having to review their original decision. And what happened was the board viewed the film again, requested cuts be made for the PG, um, which I think a few of them would have been originally requested because obviously if a number of local authorities felt it was fine at PG uncut, then maybe the board's views didn't reflect those of the authorities um, to which they were delegated from. So the film was withdrawn at midnight on a particular day and a new version of the film went out to cinema. So it literally went from being overnight a 12-rated film uncut to a PG film with cuts. And it was still playing a lot of cinemas, so a lot of families could then go and see it at the cinema. But obviously, in the absence of a 12A, they couldn't take their five- and six-year-old to see the 12-rated version. So that was an example of, of, of you know, the difference between a 12 and a 12A. And, and as a result of that pressure, we moved to that 12A position. Yeah. So Mrs Doubtfire. So my final question to you, David, and it's an extremely uh, unfair one, is what will our categories look like in another 100 years' time? Well, this is really difficult to say. I mean, um, I think we'll still have the U, because I think U yeah. for Universal will still be understood. I think, hopefully, they'll still be making films for children in 100 years' time. Um, 
It's a difficult time. I mean, it, it, uh, the public, I think, understand the system that we have now. They understand what the certificates mean, um, particularly with regard to, you know, we now have age-rated categories. I, I used to think that perhaps the 15 and 18 would, would disappear and you'd have a 16 certificate instead. But I think the same problem we face has happened in the late 60s, early 70s, that if you get particularly adult types of films being made, then they might not be considered suitable for 16-year-olds, and that might be considered too young to see them. Um, I don't know, but my, if I was to say anything might change, it might be that, but who's to say which way society will develop in the next 100 years? David Hyman talking to me about the categories here at the BBFC, and we're going to talk, as our theme discussion this week, about 12A. when I go to groups I often ask if people know the difference between 12 and 12A and to be honest there is a bit of a struggle people don't always latch on to the main point which is 12A is only in the cinema and 12 is only a video category but there is a perception I think that there's a 12 and 12A in the cinema 12A is not as strong as the 12 but that's not the case and, and Mark a little bit about the history of the 12A category yeah, well, the 12A has been around for just over 10 years. There was a trial for seven weeks in Norwich at the end of 2001, um, which was accompanied by extensive audience research. Following that trial, it was increasingly clear that the border between PG and 12 was difficult to, to gauge sometimes, and that there were occasions when films were a little bit too strong for PG. We weren't really taking into account the fact that kids grow up at different stages, and it was decided that the, the best person to judge the maturity of a child is, is that child's carer, parent, guardian, whatever, rather than us. So what we said was, um, if we give a film a 12A, we think it's suitable for 12 and up. Um, but if a child is accompanied by a responsible parent or, or, or guardian, um, that person is able to make a judgment as to the level of that child's maturity. And, and if they think the child is mature enough to see a film that, we, you know, that we've given a 12A to them, that's their prerogative. Um, we give, um, in, in order to help them make that decision, we give them plenty of, of consumer advice, and recently we've started giving extended classification information, um, which enables people to make uh, judgments as to whether or not their child is um, mature enough to see that kind of content. And that's every film that goes into the cinema. You can go onto our website and get, as Mark says, the ECI, we call it, um, and I've got an example in front of me. Uh, this is not 12A, but the film we were just talking about, The Skin I Live In. And it's a, you know, it's a good side of A4 of detailed information. At 12A, we're quite particular about giving that information that some parents really want, which is precisely what language is in there, um, so they can make their decisions on that. That's right. And it's not, I mean, the 12A is, um, is an advisory classification. It's not a mandatory classification. So it isn't like a 15 or an 18, which um, you have to be over those ages in order to get into the cinema. This is an advisory um, classification which tells parents, you know, we, we think this is suitable for 12 and up, you might think differently, and that's, that's up to you. And it ties in quite neatly with the PG-13, which the Americans have been using for years, which basically is the same kind of principle. What I find interesting, when the first 12A film was The Born Identity, which is, to this day, quite a strong 12A Film. Mm. And every now and again you get one of those films that just pushes it 
to the to the top end. But Casino Royale was a film that we worked with the distributor in advance of it going into cinemas to bring it in line with 12A. And even then, it was a strong film, our most complained about film of that year. And a couple of years later, we had The Dark Knight, which was the latest of the Batman uh, films. And that was a big complaint about film. A couple of um, newspapers ran sort of mini campaigns and editorials about it. Although, interestingly, when we came to do our, our guideline reviews, we did ask parents um, specifically whether they thought The Dark Knight was correctly classified. And actually, 69% of those who'd seen the film thought that it was correctly classified. So, despite all the complaints we had, actually, we think we probably got that decision correct. Yeah, and when we talk about complaints, I don't know the exact numbers of The Dark Knight, but it probably would have been between 100 and 200. And in a film like that, which would have been seen by probably audiences numbering in the millions, low millions, I should imagine, that's not a bad ratio. Um, so obviously it is, yeah. it is one that um, not everyone agreed with, um, but by the same token, um, most people think we got it right. And of course the unknown figure, so I think our director pointed out once when uh, we were talking about it, is how many people would have complained if we'd given it a 15? Absolutely. And that could have been a lot, a lot more even. Yeah, I mean, sp speaking of, of um, you know, comic book films, we, um, the first Spider-Man, we classified at 12A or 12, 12, 12 think, that's yeah. right, yeah, yeah. I think they just missed the 12A, they were campaigning for it, but we were still in the process of bringing it in. Yeah, got a 12, and, and um, we did get complaints from parents and also, of course, from children who yeah. were annoyed that we were preventing them from, from seeing it, so... Sometimes you, you, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. That's, um, that's the line we, we have to try and, and manage. There's always that balance. And um, the 12A, I think, is a good example of how the modern classification system works. The emphasis really is on information and empowering parents and consumers to make a, an accurate decision. OK, well, that's it for our first podcast. Mark, thank you very much. It's a pleasure. We're going to be talking about a different subject next time. Um, if you've got any questions for us, we are here to answer them. Um, you can email us at podcast at bbfc.co.uk. We hope to get through your questions next time. Uh, and until then, a very goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.